same child and wife, though these all be gone, a victory has been won. The kingdom ours remains. The text for the sermon this day is taken from Psalm 46. And it's also loosely based off the hymn, A Mighty Fortress. So I want to start, we're going to do, and we're going to have to use your imaginations here. So, um, so I want you to imagine that there is indeed a mighty fortress. And this mighty, in this mighty fortress is ruled by a mighty king. In fact, he is the king, the king of kings. Hopefully, as I go through this, you'll figure out the analogies, but in case not, I'll come back to it. Think of it kind of like a parable. But there's this king of kings. He rules over this fortress, and there are many people who live in it, live inside of the fortress. But before they live in the fortress, they live out in the desert plain. They live out where it's dangerous. They live out where the that one horrid enemy of the king is prowling about. Sometimes he looks like a, sometimes he takes on the form of a lion. Sometimes he looks like a wolf. Sometimes he's even a fiery serpent, or what we would call a dragon. And sometimes he looks like an angel. Sometimes he looks just like you and I. But the, his goal is always the same, to devour others. Until one day the message came, comes to you, or comes to a person, and they receive that message, and they walk through the waters into the fortress. And there they live in this fortress. This fortress that has walls that are impenetrable. Nothing can destroy them. No tanks, no cannons, not even a nuclear explosion would knock down these walls. They are mighty. The thing is, when you're in that fortress, you know that out in that world, destruction is going to come. There is bad things that will happen. And the fortress is the only place of salvation. And so the reason you are in that fortress, the very purpose that you serve is to get the message out to those who are not inside of it. To get the word out of the salvation from this king. The salvation from the harm that is outside. Now there are those who might say that you should be quiet and keep it to yourself. You should be... It's, more, it's better for you to just keep quiet. You should just tolerate people as they live out there. But when there is danger coming and there's only one place to be safe, is it more loving to keep silent or is it more loving to speak until your throat is dry, hoping that they'll get inside? Now there are people that come up with other ideas as to what they could do. They know there's danger. They know there's something wrong with the land that they're in. And so they seek after other ideas. 
There are those who hear about other kings or so-called lords. And they go to their fortress thinking that they could be safe there. There are those who think, I'm so much smarter than that king and I could build my own fortress. And then there are those who they'll say, well, you can't prove that there is a fortress, but I'm not sure, maybe there is a fortress, maybe there isn't, maybe there is danger, maybe there isn't danger. I'm not going to make a decision and I'm just going to live as I can, I'm just going to stand here and hope and see what happens. The enemy loves, is prowling around, waiting for the moment that he could devour on any of them. For those who are in the fortress, they work hard. They work long for a long time trying to get that message out. But there's a point that many of them Every single one of them will one day reach a point where they will become too tired to do the work they're tasked to do. And so the king in his wisdom brings them in to the palace where there is no pain and where they are made strong. The enemy trot sends his own messages into the, into the fortress trying to find any and every way he can to lead people out of it. He tells, perhaps it's because somebody did leave. Somebody's no longer in the fortress. And so they got into the palace with the king. Maybe they went sooner than this person desired, whatever the reason. And so the enemy says, look at your king. If he was loving, he'd keep that person on the fortress. He wouldn't bring him into his house. He would leave him out in this world. There are those, or perhaps he'll tell you, convince you that there is no king. It's just a big advertising ploy. It's a story to scare people. You're fine whether you're inside or out. And then there's the much more subtle, where they, they get the attention drawn away from the messages of the king. So you start paying attention to other parts of your life. And when the, when the king prepares a feast, and he does it quite regularly, we, they come up with excuses as to why they don't need it. And the more and more they, work, they do this, the more and more they will slowly go out of the fortress and before long, they're outside and they don't even know it. Case, hopefully, it was a little obvious what I was doing there. The mighty fortress is indeed our God, as we sing in that hymn. Or you could even say here, kind of in a sense, I'm using it as the church. as the place where you're put in. That's why they had to enter in through the water. This is actually imagery that comes out of one of the early church fathers where they have this wonderful, there's this wonderful depicted writing. If you ever read it, it's so awesome. It'll work your imagination. It's done by the, it's called the Shepherd of Hermas. And in it, he talks about the people of God walking into the tower through a waterfall, which is very obvious image of baptism. Because it is through baptism that we enter into, church, into the church. It is through baptism that we become 
a member of Christ, a part of Christ's body. The king, the king of kings and lord of lords, is Jesus himself. And the people who live inside are all the Christians. And as we are Christians, we have the reason we live on this earth is for one reason and one reason only. And that's to tell others about Jesus. To spread our faith. Because the reality is, is that outside of the fortress of God, there is no salvation. None. There is only destruction and death. And people want to fight against this one. And say, that's not, doesn't make sense. Actually, it makes a lot of sense. If I wanted to go to Des Moines, how many directions do I, can I go, technically? Now, there could be multiple roads, but ultimately, I'm really only going one direction, aren't I? Even though I have, may have to detour to get that exact line. If I went northeast, would I get, would I get to Des Moines? Why not? How intolerant of you to tell me there's another way to get, that there isn't another way to get there. How about this with your car? If I decided to start pouring a Mountain Dew into your car, it's got a lot of caffeine, would that make my car, your car run better? So few things in the world work on multiple options. Why do we think that God works that way? It doesn't actually make sense. It makes much more sense that there is only one God. And it makes much more sense then why the devil works so hard to keep us away from him. There's actually a story, there's a, there's a guy named, his, I can't remember his full name, it's something Barnhouse. He was a pastor, he was a Presbyterian pastor in Philadelphia. It was back in the early 20th century. He did a radio show. And on the radio show, he was asked the question, he, he was talking about what it would look like if the devil ruled a city. And see, the thing is, as people imagine, well, the way the world would look if the devil ruled it is there'd be sin would be out of control and things would just look really, really bad. And he went, Barnhouse went a very different direction. He said that the streets would be pristine perfectly clean. There would be no bars, no strip clubs. There'd be no drugs, no alcohol. Everybody would have beautiful houses with white picket fences. And boys would say, would say yes, sir. And girls would say, no, ma'am, because it'd be so incredibly polite. And the church would be filled to the brim where Christ was not preached. Because the devil doesn't care who you worship. Well, he does, as long as it's not Christ. And what's more is he really loves is to get you to think you're worshiping Jesus when you're not at all. Which is why, as I said, sometimes it's a lot more subtle. Many churches, very slowly and subtly, can lead you away from Christ. To what you think is Christ, but it isn't him at all. There are many churches 
where you will not hear Christ preached. Not saying that you won't hear about Jesus, I'm saying you will not hear Christ preached. The difference is they'll talk about Jesus as an example, about how he's the guy that can change your life forever. To preach Christ is to say that this is the man who died on the cross for your sins. It starts with the fact that you are a sinner and you need the blood of Jesus to be saved. There are many churches where you could go months and months and months without ever hearing that once. And yet Jesus said, preach forgiveness and repentance of sins. The apostle Paul said, I decided to know nothing amongst you except Christ and him crucified. The reality is, the reason they don't preach that is because that won't fill the church to the brim. If we would just stop talking about Christ, people would fill the church up like none other. But the problem is we'd be preaching them all to hell. That's how the devil works. It's subtle. It's slow. Sometimes he does the hard actions when bad things happen in our lives. Because the reality is, at times, we are called off from the wall. And we are, people are called home to heaven. To be in the presence of God. And the devil will use that against us. To get us to forget that the fact that they went to heaven meant they went to someplace far, far better than we're at. And them not being here was God's grace. The reality is, is that we don't actually get, deserve to be taken from this world. We actually deserve to endure every ounce of badness there is. But the devil doesn't want us to think that way. The devil wants us to look at the problem of evil in the world and convince us that that proves that God is a liar. But in reality, you read the Bible and in the very... How far do you have to go to find out that there's something wrong in the world? Two chapters. Do you know how far you have to go to find somebody murdering another person? Is that the very beginning of the fourth chapter of the entire Bible? It did not take long for the Bible to let you know that things are bad because of our sin. Which is why the the message. Why that him, God, is our mighty fortress. A mighty fortress is our God is such a dear hymn. Such an incredible hymn. Because we do live in a world with death. We live in a world of evil. And we live in a world where the devil constantly is assaulting us. And the thing is, he finds any and everything he can to lead us astray. He'll find ways to distract us, to get us stop reading God's word, to not receive the Lord's Supper. He'll do anything he can. Because the truth is that a mighty fortress is our God. The devil prowls fierce as he will. One little word, though, can fell him. That one little word is Jesus Christ. 
to say when the devil is wagging his finger in his face, when the devil is trying to destroy you, all you have to say is, Jesus Christ is my Lord and King. Get out of my face, devil. And he listens. The devil can harm you none as long as you're in this mighty fortress. He is judged. The dead... The deed was done when our King Jesus died on the cross for you and for me. Through the waters of baptism, you are made residents of the mighty fortress. In God's word and sacrament, you stay strong to this fortress. And when all things have passed, the fortress and everything around it will be made new and glorious, where we shall reside forever, and our King will hold the field forever. Until that day comes, to him be all glory, the mighty fortress. In Jesus' name, amen. The grace, peace, and mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, keeping the one true faith to life everlasting, amen. Please stand. <clears throat>